0: We're getting ready for Easter, and I'm going to start today a five-part series that will start now and go through the next month through Easter, and and it's a series that we do every year at this time, and and it really lays the foundation of who we are as a church, what we believe and what the, the message of the gospel that we believe God has called us to present here at the church. And so we're going to take you on this journey, and so the series is called The Journey, and, and the reason of that is that for those who desire to pursue God and passionately go after him, God established a pattern or he established this this method that he wanted us to follow in finding the fullness of life that God desires for you and I. And and here's what I want us to see today because how many has found out that life goes up and life goes down and, and the life has mountaintops and there's some valleys along the way? Anyone found that out? And and, and there's a journey, there's a process, and in that, God gave the Israelites, when the Israelites were established, the nation of Israel, God immediately in the book of Exodus gave them four promises, or four I wills, and I, we're going to go through those in the next four services, uh, starting with Easter, but I want to start today on the, the preempt of that. Where, where, how does this start, and what does it mean, and where's real the foundation of it? And so in these four promises, they are progressive, that you can't jump to three or four. You've got to get one first, and then you can move to promise two, and then three and four. And let's look at them. They're found in Exodus chapter six. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And here's the first promise, I will, I will bring you out from under the yoke of Israel the Egyptians, that, that God is saying, I wanna take that yoke. And that yoke means a burden or a heavy weight. And if your life is lived with a burden or under a constant heavy weight, you can identify that you're in step one of the four-step process that God wants to take you under because Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He wants to take that yoke off of you, that weight of sin and guilt and shame, and he says, the first I will is I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then the second I will is, he says, what? I will what? Free you from being slaves to them. I, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, but now I'm going to free you because now I'm going to get Egypt out of you. All right, come on. And how many found out after you got saved, there's still some stuff going on? Come on, anybody besides me come to Jesus and then still need some cleaning up? And when I don't think I do, my wife reminds me that I do. And and she's not here, by the way. She's suffering for the Lord in the mountains up there in Blue Ridge Mountains with my daughter on spring break. And so pray for her. She's really suffering this week while she forsook me. And I know how Jesus felt now when they forsook him and fled. And uh, I, he said, <laughs> boy, I miss her already. I will free you from being slaves to them. He says, look, I got you out of the world. Now let's get the world out of you. And And... And, I, and that doesn't happen all at once. That's, right. that's why he said, let everyone work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, and I'll give you the will and the power to do it, because how many besides your pastor is still working that salvation thing out? I need Jesus to help me every day. Amen? Yeah. And so he says, promise number one, I'm going to get you out of the world. Promise number two is I'm going to get the world out of you. I'm going to start you in a process of freeing yourself from all that stuff that's been destroying you. Promise number three, he comes in, he says, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. Look, look at what he's saying, with an outstretched arm. And you know what the word redeem there means? I'm going to take you back to the original place you were before I created you in the womb of your mother. We're going to bypass all that dysfunctional stuff you've gone through, all that hurt, all those offenses, all that abuse, anything you've gone through in life that's controlled and, and value, or dictated your value and your worth. We're going to skip all that. We're going to start over again fresh and new. Come on, how many's glad Jesus can do that in your life? Here's the tragedy... a survey said 87% of Christians, church people, never get to promise number three. They live their entire life in promise number two, trying to be good enough for God. And so 87% of the church body admitted that they don't know why they're on the earth. They don't know their purpose. Can you imagine what your body would be like if 87% of it didn't know what to do today? And that's why the church has been struggling all these years because we got people in, but we didn't help them get free. And we didn't help them find their purpose. That's why we don't use the word potential around here because I don't want to know your potential. That means how I can find out what you can do to help me get where I want to go. We want to help you find your purpose so we can help you get where God wants you to go in life. And then promise number four, and and I want you to get this. He says, I I will take you, and I'm skipping, I will take you as my own people. Now notice something. In the first three, it dealt with us individually. But then in the fourth promise, he said, first, I want to save you. I want to get you out. Number two, I want to bring freedom in your life through a process. And then number three, I want you to find purpose in your life, discover your purpose. And then number four, he says, you're not by yourself anymore. I'm going to connect you to a body of believers and you're going to live life together and you're going to be called my people and you're going to go make a difference in the world. I mean, he's glad you're part of the church called the body of Christ, amen? And so he gives us these four promises, but then he decided to put these four promises in, in, in a visual or what's called a metaphor so that we could see it. What, what does it mean to, to be set free, to, to know God? What does it mean to, to find freedom, to discover purpose and to go make a difference? He wanted us to see it, and it happens through a thing called the Passover, and today I want to talk to you about this Passover that takes place immediately before the death of Christ and the resurrection of our Savior, leading away on this journey, the journey into the fullness of what God has for you and I. It started with the nation of Israel. This guy named Joseph, if you've been in church long, you know the story. Joseph was out with his brothers one day, and they were jealous of him because of the favor his father showed him, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to a caravan, and he was taken to Egypt, and he was there sold to Potiphar, and then he found favor with Pharaoh, and he's now, because he was so genius and God had his favor on his life even in prison, he now founds favor with Pharaoh. He's put second in charge of Egypt, all right? He created an irrigation system that brought harvest during the famine. Everybody had to come to Egypt to get food, including his family. And so he has all this favor under this Pharaoh. And let's fast forward it 400 years now. And a new Pharaoh has taken over. And the nation of Israel doesn't have this type favor any longer. And this Pharaoh is angry and he's scared because the Israelites are growing so fast and reproducing that the scholars say there are about 4 million Israelites now, 400 years after Joseph, there's about 4 million Israelites. And the new Pharaoh says they're going to take over because of their numbers. We've got to put them back into slavery. And they enslave the Israelites' people, put them under taskmasters, begin to make them make brick for a living, and they now have them as slaves. And Pharaoh declared now that because of their fast growth that every firstborn male born... To the Israelites had to be put to death, that the midwives were to, to kill the baby. If it was a male, they refused to do it. So he got his soldiers, his army, his generals to go into every home of the Israelites. And every time they found a firstborn male, they would put it to death. When Moses was born, this little baby was born to his mother named Jochebed, not Jochebed, but Jochebed. All right. We got a Jochebed in our church. So let me clarify that. And uh, But Jochebed was Moses' mother and so he's born and she nurses him until he becomes too large to hide and so she takes him down to the Nile River one day and she puts him in a little wicker basket and hands him over to God in nature and he drifts down and just happened by coincidence to go into the path of Pharaoh's daughter, the one that made the decree to put him to death. And she had compassion on him and she took him home and began to nurse him and, and, and all of a sudden she finds favor with him. And Moses grows up the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house thinking he's an Egyptian. And one day it come to his knowledge that he's not an Egyptian, he's an Israelite. And he sees some uh, uh, Hebrew, they're out there fighting God's people. And he goes and kills a guy. And so now he's a murderer. And he flees to the Midian Desert and he hides out there for 40 years. He's been on the run hiding out. And so at 80 years old one day, he's walking through the desert, he's bummed out, he's discouraged, he's empty, he's running, and all of a sudden this bush catches on fire and it starts talking to him. That will freak you out. You know what I'm talking about? That will get your attention. God has a way of getting your attention. And so God speaks to Moses through a bush and says, okay, bud, time's up. I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go like he lets you go. And Moses goes, mm-mm, that ain't happening. He says, God, you don't know who you just gave that order to. I, I, and he begins to give God five excuses on why he couldn't be the one. He tells God, God, I, 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 I got, got, got this speech impairment, but I don't see it causing any problems arguing with God. And then finally, the fifth one, he finally gets honest and says, okay, God, I don't wanna do it. I just don't wanna go. God says, "Now you going. And so he goes and he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh goes, that ain't happening either. And so Moses says, okay, bro, then there's 10 plagues fixing to come upon you and you're gonna let them go. And so nine plagues come, either Pharaoh, God brought nine plagues against the Egyptians to get them to let the people of Israel go and Pharaoh refused. And then there were other times that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh that kept him from letting them go because God had an ultimate plan. And I'm just gonna kind of move out of this for a moment and just tell you something. You need to quit letting all that's taking place out here in the political arena and the social arena. I mean, we need to be concerned and we need to be praying, but there ain't a president or a future president alive that holds the future of this nation. It's still held in the hands of an almighty God. Everybody else are puppets on a string that's being maneuvered and moved by God himself that his ultimate plan will take place. Come on, how many's glad you're in the hands of God today, not in the hands of a man? Amen? And God proved that through the Israelites. And so he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or Pharaoh hardened his heart. And finally the 10th plague come. And Moses said, okay, you won't listen. You'll get this one. He said, tonight a death angel is gonna come through the camp of Egypt. And every house that does not have the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of that home, the death angel is gonna come through and death is coming to the firstborn of that house. And that night the death angel came and Pharaoh woke up the next day and every firstborn male in Egypt was dead. And he didn't say you might get out. He asked them to go. Get out. The hand of your God has shown himself to be powerful. And he asked them and really thrust them out of Egypt. But how many glad God is notorious at taking those that are disqualified like a Moses and qualifying them? And he took this imperfect guy and used him to free the nation of Israel. And when that 10th plague come, there was blood on the doorposts of the lintel of the people of God. And when the death angel came through, he had to pass over. Here's where the Passover comes in. Because every home that had the blood of the lamb applied to the doorposts and the lentil of that home, the death angel couldn't enter. He had to pass over that home. And so once they come out of Egypt, Pharaoh says, now get out. They come out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Then they go to Mount Sinai, trying to go too fast. And God gives them the Ten Commandments, but he didn't just give them ten. He gave them over 400 that you don't hear a whole lot about. But he gave them over 400 instructions. He gave us Ten Commandments but he gave Moses over 400 instructions that we see all through the scripture and he gave them to us and to them so that we could learn how to live our life to the fullest. He gave us instruction on knowing how to live healthy, strong, happy, fulfilled, that, that the righteousness, peace, and joy of God and the spirit can dwell inside of us and he shared that but because there were so many instructions, he gave them seven laws that he wanted them to fulfill every year and they were called feast or, or fellowships or, or, or they're, they're called festivals. And here he comes in and he says, okay, you've got all of this to do, all these laws, all these instructions, but I want you to take breaks seven times a year and you're gonna take off of work that day and you're gonna make a bunch of food and you're gonna food feast and you're gonna fellowship and you're gonna have fun and you're going to rest and you're just going to enjoy the day and the blessings of God in your life. You need a break sometimes, God said. Yes. Just relax. Well, some of us could learn something right there. Well. <laughs> and so one of those festivals is called the Feast of Passover. And it was a feast where they gathered together and they honor this day where the death angel came across camp but they could not enter. It had to pass over the homes where the blood of the Lamb was applied. We see it in Exodus 12. We're going to hurry here now. And when your children ask you, when, when they come to you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Why, why are we taken out of school? Why, why are we not working today? Why are we doing, why are we fixing this road? Why, why are we doing all of this? Tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our home when he struck down the Egyptians. What he said was, every time you celebrate this Passover, you're doing the lamb thing again. You're going to get that lamb out, and they would fix a lamb every year at Passover. They were to go find their best lamb, the best of their herd. They were to go get it and sacrifice it, and they would eat it at that Passover celebration and and celebrate the passing over of the death angel of their home, and they would celebrate it. And now I want us to fast forward 1,400 years. Are you still with me? All right? And Jesus is now on the earth. He being Jewish has celebrated Passover every year with his people. We are now on the Thursday night of the final week of Jesus' life. The next day is called Good Friday. It's the day that he's gonna give his life. And we see it in Luke 22. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. But watch this. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying for 1,400 years, we together have celebrated the Passover by eating a lamb. But a lamb will never be needed to be eaten again because today is being fulfilled. And they had no idea what he was really saying. But what Jesus was saying is I'm the lamb. I'm the last lamb. that's ever going to need to be slain again. I'm the lamb of God. Because Jesus is required. Remember the four promises of the journey? Jesus is required for those four promises to take place in your life. You can't have the salvation without Jesus you can't have the freedom of life without Jesus you can't find and discover the purpose of who God is in your life without Jesus you can't go out and change other people's life and make a difference without Jesus the lamb is required for you and I to follow and find the promises of God in our life along the journey you see you cannot enjoy these promises without Jesus And then let's go further. And he took bread and gave and break it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, if you exclude God out of your life, you're living empty and miserable. Empty and miserable. But when I take of that communion, that's why he said do this often. Because when I take of this communion, it reminds me to keep Jesus. center of my life because if Jesus is there the four promises are available and if you think you can do this without Jesus try it you'll be back because how many besides me has tried and it doesn't work and it'll never work because you can't have the promises without the lamb Then he said, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is still the way. Can I say this boldly today? Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. There's only one way to get to heaven, and it's still through the Lamb of God, Jesus himself. There's no other way to heaven but by him. And there's no true life you can live outside of him. First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul declared him, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So very quickly now, how many of you understand the Passover? Does so that give you a little picture? There's a lot to cover in 15 minutes there. But I want you to see the Passover. What does it mean and what is it? Now I want you to understand, what, what, what about this lamb? What makes the lamb so important? Because Easter means nothing if you don't understand the lamb. And do you know that there are many titles given to Jesus, but lambs are number one. It's mentioned 104 times. Jesus is referred to as the lamb 104 times of Scripture, more than any other title that is given. 25% of that 104 is found in the book of Revelation, which means we're already in heaven. And guess what they say is being said in heaven over and over and over again. Worthy is the lamb. Jesus is called the lamb. In John 1:29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, what? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There were three requirements that were placed upon the lamb at the Passover when the Jewish people, and still today, when the Jewish people would go out and take the lamb from their herd, there were three requirements placed upon that lamb before it could be used, and then requirements that had to be done with it through the ceremony of the Passover. And I wanna show you how they parallel with the Lamb of God, Jesus himself. Number one, the Lamb had to be perfect. The Lamb had to be selected. It had to be spotless, without blemish or defect. In Exodus 12, it says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep Or the ghosts on Palm Sunday, Jesus came into the city on a donkey. People waved willow branches, and he went into the temple. And there he found the money changers. Anybody remember that story? When he came in and turned over the tables, he was angry. The money changers in the temple—guess what they were selling? Lambs. They were defiled priests and they were greedy, and they were taking advantage of the people because the people had to bring their lamb to the priest for inspection that it was spotless and without blemish, and the priest had their old lambs over here, and when people would bring their lamb, though it was spotless and it was without blemish, the priest would go, no, nah, that one's not good enough. You can't use that one, but I have one I can sell you. And Jesus came in and saw that and said, oh, that ain't happening in my temple. Bam, and just kicked it all over. Out, out. Because there's something special about the lamb. You see, Jesus is the only one. The lamb had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. And Everybody look at me for one second. Jesus is the only God of any religion in the world today that can claim to be perfect. There's no other religion whose God can say, I was perfect. I was spotless. I had no blemish. Why is that important? because how many besides me needed cleaned up when Jesus found me? You see, when you are unclean, you cannot be cleaned up by someone else unclean. If you're dirty, you won't clean you up with a dirty rag. You gotta find a clean one. And for you and I to be saved, for us to get promise number one, there had to be a spotless lamb that could show up in our life. He was spotless and clean so that he could take us out of Egypt and have the ability to clean us up. And how many found out just one moment with Jesus was life transforming. It brought you from darkness to life in a moment. Freedom is a process, but salvation is instant. In Jesus. Only the clean can take care of the unclean. Only the perfect can take care of the imperfect. And Jesus is that perfect lamb. 1 Peter 1.18, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Come on, can we say thank God for Jesus, the perfect lamb today? Let me tell you something, Muhammad doesn't qualify. Buddha doesn't qualify. Even Mary doesn't qualify. There's only one spotless lamb out there, the redeemer of the world, and his name still Jesus. He's still the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number two, the lamb had to be sacrificed, had to be sacrificed and killed. Exodus 12, 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel, what? Must slaughter. And I'm going to take a moment, though our time is running here, I'm going to take a moment here because Jesus did not just die on the cross to save you from your sin. He was slaughtered on the cross. And I would do injustice if I didn't take a moment right here and just stop and slow down for a moment and explain to you a few things that happened because Jesus experienced the most excruciating pain that a human could ever endure but never spoke a word in retaliation. As they brutalized him, he never turned and spoke a word. Isaiah, who saw him hundreds of years, he saw the cross hundreds of years before it ever took place. And Isaiah 53 said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed on him. And by his wounds, the scourging, the beating, we are healed. The four words of the cross. I'm going to preach a series on that later in the year. What really happened on Good Friday? You see, it was good for us, but it wasn't good for him. The day began at a whipping post, and it wasn't a post like you would think. I've been in Israel, and I went to the wall where they scourged Jesus, and they literally would chain them to face forward to a wall, so that the thrust of the scourging would force the energy of their body into that wall and break their ribs. It would break their teeth out. It would break their nose. It would break their sockets and their, their jaw bones. It was more than just a back beating. It was destroying the, the body. And they connected Jesus to that wall, and they would take a scourge, which was leather strips that had rocks and nails and metal and glass embedded in the ends, and they would dip it in water so that it would get heavy and weight would be on it And they were professional scourgemen, not just anyone did it, that they could take a man to a moment from death and then stop. 39 was the maximum. It's it's something how God had this happen when the the, uh, death penalty was at the highest it had ever been in society at this moment. Capital Punishment. And Jesus was there and he was strapped to this wall and they took that scourge and they dipped it in water and with two hands they would throw it and 13 lashes on the right shoulder and the back intentionally and 13 lashes on the left shoulder and the back intentionally because the intention was when they pulled, they would rip the muscles and the tendons that would hold the shoulder sockets in place and there was a reason for that and then 13 went right down the spine that would open the flesh away from the spinal cord. He never turned around and said a word. He's a beaten mass and swollen meat on the cross. Then they took flexible rods and they beat the back of his thighs and his legs, one of the most tender and sensitive parts of our body. They then blindfolded him and they spat on him and they beat him open fists and closed fists and they kicked him, punching him, saying, come on, come on, do you see it? And Come on, save yourself if you're the son of God. Jesus never responded. He's the lamb. He's got to be sacrificed. A crown of thorns, thorns four to six inches long were made into a crown and mockery and they were placed on his head and then they took the rod that was in his hand and they began to drive those thorns into his scalp. Scholars say that when those thorns penetrated his scalp and went into the brain area that it created the migraine of all migraines, that the pain of the migraine in Jesus' head was beyond measurable. He that knew no sin became sin. That you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That when he would look out of heaven at me today, he doesn't see my failures and my mistakes. He sees his son, the lamb, who was slaughtered. And Jesus took that migraine of migraines, the pain unbearable in his head, so you could sleep tonight tonight. So you don't have to be in anxiety and fear and worry and eaten up all day long in your life. You can be free from that because he bore your pain, your emptiness, your misery, your sleepless nights. He bore them in his pain. How I many thankful for Jesus today? He gets under the weight of a cross and he's carried to Golgotha. He's a mass swollen meat and they take railroad spikes, and they drive them through his hands and his feet, and they put him on a cross, and he's hanging there. And they didn't want him to die immediately. They want him to suffer, and here's why they ripped his muscles and tendons. Here's why they stripped his back open and exposed his spine, because they hung him in a sag position, and they held him there, because every time he would breathe, he would have to push and he would have to pull, and if they ripped those muscles and tendons, he no longer had the ability to pull himself up to get air in his lungs, and, and up, and, and he would get a breath and down. And when muscles and tendons ripped and torn, he didn't have the ability to pull himself up that hard, so he had to work double hard, and for six hours, Jesus was up and down, up and down, just getting a breath of air pulling on those torn tendons, and every time he went down, that spine that's now been exposed was thrust into the splinters of that cross, piercing his spinal cord. He did it because the lamb had to be slaughtered, had to be sacrificed. To make sure Jesus was dead, they took a spear. They walked up and they thrust it into his side. So he had gave up the ghost. He had died, but to make sure, because they were supposed to break his legs, but they didn't because they said he's already dead. They thrust his spear into his side. Blood and water begin to flow out. And scientists have proven this. The only way blood and water can flow from a human body is if the heart erupts in the chest cavity. Jesus didn't die from the beating. He didn't die from the scourging. He didn't die from the thorns. He died when he became what he feared the most, our sin. He became like us, and he died of a broken heart. Can anyone in this building just take a moment and say, Thank you, Jesus, for being that lamb? Come on, how many appreciate the lamb of God who made the ultimate sacrifice so you and I could be free? And here's the last thing I want to share with you before you go the lamb had to be shared. This is so powerful. I know that kind of got you down because it ought to. It bothers me every time I read it and every time I preach it. But thank God he reminds us of the price that he paid for us. You didn't just get saved. It costs something very, very valuable. Those four promises aren't cheap, though they're free. Come on, how many's glad you're not having to pay that for them? Come on. Amen. But then it brings us to now. The lamb had to be shared. And here's what would happen when the Jewish family would get ready to celebrate the Passover. They would see the lamb and they would realize, my family can't eat all that. And all the lamb had to be eaten. There could be zero left over. There was no leftover lamb the next day. It had to all be consumed at the Passover. And so they would invite other families into their home so that they knew that the entire lamb would be eaten. None could be left. And can I say, this is what Jesus is saying to us today. He's giving us a picture of what he wants us to know about Jesus. And and can I say this to you today? As we're a growing church, and we're seeing new people come every Sunday, and I've had people say, I don't want to be a part of a large church. I want to be as large. Not so we can say we're large, but here's what I want. As long as there's people in this town that have yet to eat of the lamb, we're going to keep serving him. You get what I'm saying? Because the lamb has not been eaten up yet. There's still some lamb left. You you with me what I'm saying? there's still some people that live in your subdivision that hadn't eat the lamb yet. There's still some people that work with you that has not tasted of the lamb yet. There's still some family that has not tasted of the lamb yet. And none of the lamb can be wasted. It has to be shared. And I want to challenge you today is go out and give the lamb away. Go out and serve the lamb. He's resurrected. He's alive. He's still the savior of the world. He's still the healer of broken hearts. He's still the mender of messed up marriages. He's still the the one that can come and give hope to the hopeless. He's still the one that can come and turn a light on in a world of darkness that's without any hope. A man sat in my office this week that was on his way, his words to me, his wife came with him. He was on his way to commit suicide. He's never been in this church in a service in his life, but yet something in heaven told him to come here. And he sat at my desk with his wife and I watched the word of God transform a heart in front of me and he came in broken and distorted and all messed up but when he left here he left here with a peace of God and a joy in his heart and an expectation of the favor of God in his life no program can do that but one taste of the lamb let's give the lamb away I'm yelling I'm sorry man I love him I love him you're not looking at a preacher that had it all together his life. I sat on my bed three nights with a load of 44 in my head in 1998 wanting to die. So don't look up here and think we've had it all together all of our life cause we haven't. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to wanna quit, but also know what it's like to one day find that resurrected savior that still has healing in his wings and has joy that's unspeakable and has peace that passes our understanding and has the ability to change and transform mine in your life and I'm going to reverse some things right now Won't you just bow your heads if you're here right now and you say Pastor Dan that's me that's me right now I don't want to wait to Easter I don't want to wait to next Sunday right now I'm, I'm not a bad person but I realize right now I need to make some spiritual decisions in my life and right now I, I need to make some choices and I need God in my life I'm tired of trying to do this by myself Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not coming to you. I just want to pray a prayer with you and for you. If that's you, would you slip a hand up wherever you, you sit? Wow, hands going up all over this building. That's me today. That's me. Pray for me, Pastor. If you raise your hand or you did not, maybe you're on live stream and you want to pray with us today, will you pray this prayer? And we're going to pray it with you. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, If I would just come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord, believe in my heart you raised from the dead, I can be saved. Right now, I come to you, I confess that you are Lord. I believe in my heart you raised from the dead, and I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I'm saved. According to your word, I'm a brand new person in Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, will you join me and let's celebrate?